Welcome to College Soccer Nation, the premier podcast focused on NCAA collegiate soccer, featuring SMU head women's coach Chris Petroselli and Old Miss head women's coach Mad Mod. You can download and listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And if you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your soccer friends. Now let's go to Coach Petroselli and Coach Mod. College Soccer Nation, September 20th, 2021. My name is Matt Mott. One of the co-hosts, Chris Petroselli from the SMU Mustangs is the other one. We're here with you tonight on a, on a, a great Monday with a great podcast in plan. In plan? Planned. Planned, Chris, maybe. How are you? How are you tonight, Chris? I'm in planned. That's what I am. I'm in <laughs> yeah, you know, it's Monday. We're trying to get yeah, stuff done. I know. Words yeah. are hard, Chris. Words are hard. A big, big week, a big week behind us, big week ahead of us, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, no doubt. And so, great show tonight. Gary Butte is with us, taking a little change from the college coaches. Gary Butte is the uh, CEO of NCFC Youth, right, in North Carolina, the Courage, all those guys that we know back yeah. Castle. And he's a really good friend of, of all of ours here on the show on College Soccer Nation and does such a great job and uh, just a great guy. And he listens. So we wanted to bring him on and um, and talk to him. So that'll be fun to chat with him in a little bit. Um, the Power Five this week is birds. Why is it birds, Chris? It's birds because last week you went into some ridiculous thing about how you wanted to be an animal and you could change into anything you wanted and you could become a bird and all of that. So you decided that birds <laughs> would be a good a good Power Five. Uh, it should be something. Yeah. All right, Chris. Question. Question time. Question right, time. What do you got? Chris, in the day of analytics and stats and all of the things that coaches look at, what to you at the end of the game is the most important stat? (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, a lot of people these days are looking at XG and shots Mm -hmm. on goal and all of this stuff. And I think it's pretty obvious that the most important stat of the game is who scored the most goals. Do you? I, I do believe that. Do you? Strange. And honestly, Matt, it uh, annoys me when coaches lose and pound the stats. Uh-huh. They lose the game. You play the game to win. You don't play the game to have more shots than the other game. Uh, the other team. Terry Herm Edwards is right. You play yeah. to win the you game. Play to win. Yeah. And yeah. so when when these guys lose and start going on about we had more shots, we had more chances, we dominated the game. How about how about this line? There was only one team in the oh, game. Oh God, what that's the hell, so stupid. About, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. In the end, what matters is who wins the game. All of yeah. this other stuff does not matter. But when you lose and you feel like you have to justify it, right? Uh-huh. You have to say, well, we were better than them. Uh, we just lost. No, you weren't better. You weren't better. No, that's Because right. you lost. That's right. right. So it, it's it's quite annoying. I feel it. it's a little bit juvenile at times yeah. to, to hear people say it. Um, but it happens all the time. I mean, we're yeah. not talking about one or two instances. It happens across the country. Um, it happens. I feel, I feel like it happens in college soccer a lot more than anywhere else. I mean, I don't yeah. think I've ever heard Jose Mourinho talking about he had more shots, you know, like <laughs> I don't think I've heard that. Right. <laughs> and, he, and he'll give you anything. He'll give That's you anything. Right. He wants to that. Let me, let me say this, Chris, let me just say this. How about the line? Uh, we play better soccer. Yeah. What, what's, what is the job of a soccer team to do? Win. Score more goals. Yes. Yeah. Score more goals. Right. So this is what I would say. Just shut 
up. Yeah. Seriously. Like if you lose, just shut up. Right. Just thank, you know, say, Hey, we, we gave our best. We worked hard. Wasn't our day, whatever it is. But when you start coming on with, we outshot this team, that this to that, or we had more corners or what, you know, if that's what you're trying to do. Um, then good for you, but you don't win the game. It doesn't go in, it doesn't go in the, uh, in the win column, no matter how many shots you have. Right. And yeah. it, you know, was it a quality loss? There's another question for you, right? Quality loss. Is that a no, good one? Quality loss. Right. Or how about the line of, uh, well, we had a great game plan. And yeah. Basically patting yourself on the back. Right. Yes, I, I love that one. I, I love that one. I had this great. And, and by the way, your game plan was so good that you lost. That's right. <laughs> it couldn't have been that good. I mean, I just, just shut up. And listen, yeah. I think if you're a coach and you have to have a post game quote because they make you, then keep it simple. Don't bring up the stats because you just look like an idiot. Yeah. And we've totally. seen that. We've seen that a little bit more and more um, lately. Um, so it's, it's disappointing really because, you know, there's a professionalism involved there. And, and I don't know what they're trying to prove by telling them they had more shots. Well, you, yeah. you, then, then you, you need to go back to the practice ground and work on finishing. Because well, obviously you know, the shots didn't go in. We see it every week, right? And numerous yes. times every week. And, you know, congratulate the other team. Tell them they played great. You yeah. can say your team played well and, and, and that kind of stuff. But come on, stop with pounding the, yeah. pounding the stats, pounding the stats, pounding yeah, the you, stats. Let me ask you this, Chris. I'll end with this. Yeah. this. How many times when you've won a game have you said, man, I mean, we outshot them 25 to five and we beat them. I mean, we were really good. I mean, that team sucks, right? I mean, we had 12 corners. They only had two. Like, right? If yeah, you wouldn't yeah, say it when you win, why would you yeah, Why would you say it when you lose? Right? No. It's ridiculous. You, you sound like an idiot. Don't do it, is exactly. my opinion. Anyway. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's bring in. Shall we bring him in? It's time, right? Yeah. Got to have the big deal. Big deals here for us, ladies and gentlemen. Brian, welcome to the show. Any thoughts on uh, the, the 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 stat line after a loss? I have a thousand thoughts on it. <laughs> so when Leicester City in 2016 won the EPL, they were 18th in possession percentage, something like low 40%. And they passed at the lowest success rate in the entire league. I don't, you know, I love the little coaches things to do post- EPL games, little, you know, two minute. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty close to the game. It's emotional. I don't remember one guy saying we had more of the ball. We had it. Or, you know, we kept it at 56%. We kept it at 50%. They stink. We should have won. Yeah. It's a tactic that's a viable tactic of how we play, let the other team have the ball, force them into an area, turn them over and counter. Yeah. The, it drives me crazy as if yeah. not a tactic of the game. Did, did England in the, in the, uh, this summer, right? England, did they, they had the highest level of possession. They were, as we talked about, they were a better team without the ball than with the yeah. ball and they made it to the final, right? And United, the worst in thing the United Euros. could do last season was have the ball. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. They struggle when they have the ball and have to make the game. So yeah. sometimes you want that to happen. And the side one of it is, so say, you know, Rice last year were in the Sweet 16, and I got a couple of people asking me, you know, why'd you sit so low? Why do we sit so low? And <laughs> what do you think? This isn't a pride contest. Yeah. We're, we're trying to win the game. 
Yeah. If I had all of their players on Virginia, we wouldn't sit low either. No. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even choose to sit low like the other two forces you in. Like right. they have the ball all the That's time. Right. Absolutely. Like you had to be back because you know they had the ball, you know. Yeah, you don't have a choice. It yeah. drives me crazy. Crazy. Yeah. But in our, social media, it's just like our kids. Coaches can't control themselves on social media. They cannot. Yeah is the actual quote. It's someone going online, tweeting, hoping their boss sees it or recruits that, oh, we didn't Yes, We hit the post twice. Yeah, I don't think, yeah. I don't even think recruits are fooled by it. I, I, I don't think no, so. No. 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 All right, here we go. Big results, yeah. Brian. You ready for big results? I'm ready. I want to ask you about it one game first. And we, I don't know that we have the, all of the details on this, but Baylor San Francisco called in the 71st minute after 70 minutes. The game is official. Tied 1-1 because of heat. Any uh, thoughts on that? Well, to start with, here in Texas, I think it's been hotter. (laughs) (laughs) Much hotter. There have been days that have been a lot hotter. Um, But I do think, you know, at Rice, we adopted this thing. They call it a wet bulb. Yeah, everybody has that, not just Rice. Rice didn't invent the wet bulb, Brian. Okay, well, here's much like any other things. Slash pandemics coming through the country. Um, in in if Rice, if the wet bulb actually gets above a number, you're not allowed to send an assistant coach to put some ice on it. Maybe that happens different places. <laughs> We're gonna stop playing. Um, much like Baylor, I'm assuming that's what it was. That number hit over what whatever is and ended the I game. I find it hard to believe, Brian. I mean, so uh, the wet bulb measures, you know, basically the temperature with the humidity kind of thing, sort of the, the feels like sort of thing. And I talked to my trainer about it last night and she said, we've had much hotter days here and we've never been close to hitting that number. And, and I wish I knew what the number was, you know, yeah, 105 too. degrees or something like that. I mean, we've played games that have been, you know, 112 or something like that. So we've had much hotter days that haven't hit that number, but maybe it did. Maybe it did. I mean, again, I, I wasn't there. I don't have all, all of the information on it. Um, I would I would call it suspicious. How about that? I've never seen I've never seen that. Never heard of that. Me too. Never except the game was at Baylor. Baylor's a very much a bubble team right now, coming out of non-conference with some good results. And that game ending one-one against San Francisco is a bad result for them for NCAA tournament selection. So the home team to cancel that game with 19 minutes left at one-one certainly didn't doesn't help bail no. No. so I, that's the part i haven't talked to yeah no no I, I, you're right certainly there. doesn't make sense and you would think that in the heat baylor would be better they would want it mm. to be hot right so for sure it, yeah. it doesn't it, it doesn't uh it just doesn't make sense the whole thing doesn't make sense to me no no all right on to on to some of these games uh clemson beats pit 2-0 Pepperdine goes to TCU and wins 1-0 in a game they deserved, for sure. Um, Arkansas 3, Tennessee 1. Auburn 3, Georgia 0. Duke with a huge win at North Carolina 1-0. Harvard 2-1 over Kansas. Rutgers. Who is Rutgers? Well, they beat Penn State 2-1. Yeah, let's go Rutgers. Stanford 2, Santa Clara 1. The big game on the West Coast. And then Pepperdine again in Texas beats AM 1-0. Any thoughts there, Brian? Well, a couple of things. Maybe we should be asking who is Penn State. They're Yo-Yo City. Some great yeah. results. And then, 
you know, a game the dip. And this is not to discredit Rutgers, but Penn State's got the talent advantage in that one as well. Um, much like earlier on one or two of their other losses. You know, for me, this was the week of there's no hiding. You know, the, not many of these results are on here, but, you know, you see the power five teams that hide behind the schedule. All of a sudden they're six and oh, seven and oh. I think the bubble burst on opening day for a lot of them in the conference play. Um, that reality is about to set in uh, that, that <laughs> these are different teams than who you've been playing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and those, the Ivy is so interesting to me. That's a huge win for Harvard, beat Kansas. And the Ivy is starting to stack up good wins. They beat the RPI a couple years ago, but they didn't beat the committee. The committee was too smart for them, weren't they, Matt? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> they can't outsmart with just the numbers. But this time they, you know, there's two or three teams who have decent top 50 results already in the Ivy. That's going to be a multi yeah. league, uh, almost for sure. Um. What do we got, uh, Matt? You got you got a little segment for us, right? Yes, I got to uh, I got to do the fact or fiction this week. So oh, obviously, I think it's important. We obviously we make a note of it. Obviously, on the NCAA committee, I can't speak about. And I think this team's doing well, or that team's doing well from a you know getting to get in RPI, all that kind of stuff. So we'll change this a little bit and let you guys talk. I'll bring up a topic. You guys discuss fact or fiction. Okay, got it. Are we ready? Here we go. Brian did this before. I'm going to try and follow in his shoes. It's very difficult. He did such a good job. I'm sure your explanations will be quite as funny as his. <laughs> All right, here we go. Ready? Fact or fiction? The SEC Conference RPI will finish second behind the ACC. <laughs> well, wait a second. Don't we know that it's second right now? Is that true or no? Have I not seen that somewhere? I don't know. Fact or fiction, Chris? Well, then I'm going to go with fact because I think I saw somewhere that it is second right now, and it's not going to change much because everybody's playing everybody in in, in the uh, in their own leagues. So I'm going with fact, Matt. Okay, Brian. I think it's very very close right now because the Big Ten has eight of the top 51, the SEC has eight of the top 48. So that's just going to who's got the worst team. And, you know, who's bottom and ending. ending. But, Chris, I would say to you that you're not going to, like, what's going to happen is all the teams play each other, but then also all the teams that they played play there, other games and teams change. So it's there's no – it's not locked in at this point by any stretch. I think that's true. I think that's I'm going to go with the SEC guys still beat the system better than the Big Ten. So right now they're ahead, but the Big Ten will pass them, and maybe one of the smaller leagues will pass them. Wow, how about that? So you're I'm saying, go with fiction. Fiction. Wow. Okay. Right. Okay. So All you right. think the SEC is going to finish fourth or lower in the I think in the RPI? Finish third or lower for sure. Ah, okay. Good to know. All right, here we go. Fact or fiction? The current RPI system is the best tool to separate teams across the country. Okay, I, I have to ask a qualifier. Okay. If I say that that's fiction, are you going to ask me then to say, well, what other tool would you use? I don't know, Chris. Depends what you say. <laughs> well, I just told you what I was going to say. I said, if I say fiction, I know what I know what you're coming with, right? No, no, no. This is you and Brian discussing, okay. not me. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go with fiction. I think there's got to be a better way. 
I don't think it? there's enough games. The RPI is the, the RPI is made up uh, was made for basketball. They play twice as many games as we do. There aren't enough games for it to be to be as accurate as it needs to be. So I'm going with fiction. Okay. I'm gonna say the best scenario would be a group just same way they do the college football playoff. Ten or twenty intelligent people with knowledge of the sport watching all the games. But given that in, in that version, I'd say fiction, but given that's not realistic for 340 college women's soccer teams and a committee made up of a combination of administrators and soccer coaches, because the RPI reflects almost to a T the um, requirements that they asked for to make the NCAA tournament, then I, I, on that stance, I do think it's fact. It is the best way to pick because you can't separate the teams. People don't watch them enough. Yeah. We're such a different game where the best team doesn't always win to earlier conversation, but <laughs> our results, you have to have the eye of the beholder. And yeah. So, okay. Good. Nice fact, answers, maybe. guys. Nice answers. All right, here we go. This is a good one. I like this one I got coming at you. Ready? Fact or fiction, the Pac-12 will have more than three teams make the Sweet 16 this year. <laughs> you want to go first, Brian? Well, I can go first. They have to have three teams make the NCAA tournament <laughs> first. And given the latest RPI, they've got Oregon State in the top one. They have got, I think it's Arizona State at 49. So right now... They don't even have a lock to make the tournament. I don't think we're all sold that Oregon State is going to go run the table in the Pac-12 right now. Uh, they have a ton of teams between 50 and 70, which basically means no one's getting seated. You know, UCLA. But Brian, again, you're you're, you're too early. You're too you're too early to make these grandioso statements, in my opinion. Uh, Matt, that's your uh, opinion. I like grandioso. That's right. You're, you're, it's factor fiction, and, Matt. It's fact. It apologize. <laughs> and because they're going to be on the road and not be seated, I'm going to say, which end is they don't have three? Is that fact or fiction, Matt? Uh, we'll have more than three. So you're saying uh, fiction. that yeah. fiction. Uh, yeah, okay. no chance of four. All right. Yeah. right. Uh, Chris? Uh, I'm going to go fiction as well. I think, uh, as Brian says, there's going to be uh, a bit of a struggle beyond maybe three teams in, in, in the Pac-12. And uh, and then asking those teams to get into uh, the Sweet 16. I, I I mean we know we know there's two guaranteed. We we feel pretty confident that UCLA and Stanford will be, but who's the third one right now? USC, Cal, yeah, Arizona USC. State, Colorado, Washington yeah, State, they're all possible. Washington. They're all, they're all those are a lot all of good teams. Those are all okay. possibilities. But so you guys are saying no? We're saying fiction. All right. Here we go. I got three more. These are all pretty quick ones. Fact or fiction, the fourth official in college soccer games is the worst job in sports. <laughs> in my game last night, yeah, that is absolutely fact. Right? Fact, especially if he's wearing one of those headsets where he can talk to the center ref because that changes my communication. Um, yeah, that's terrible. Yes. They should get okay. paid the most. I know that. They should make more than the center and the sideline guys. Yeah. They should. All right, two more. Fact or fiction, VAR in college games is a waste of time. 
Oh, I say that's fiction for sure. I, I, I say it's fiction. There have been times where it has been useful. I know we, we played a game up at, at Northwestern and there was some question about whether or not we scored the goal. And when they looked at it, we did. And I like the fact that we got the goal. So I, to me, I, I think it's useful. Okay. Fiction and it'll be a bigger part of our game in the future. Okay. All right. Last one. You ready? This is a good one. This is a good one. Is it about factor, factor fiction of the three hosts of college soccer nation, Chris, Matt, and Brian, Chris will be the first coach to get in a fight on the sideline of a game. <laughs> I've, I've, for me, that, that is total fiction. I mean, it has fiction. Been many, I've been in it a lot of years and I've not had one fight. Not that I haven't no. been willing, right? Not, not that I haven't been willing, but no one else would engage. All right, Brian? I'm going to say fiction. Well, it, it is not going to be Chris. It would be Matt because you can only get in a fight with your opposition. And you've got the, you know, you got a opposite sideline of crazies coming through the, you might not get red cards, but there's a lot of red cards yeah. to side in the SEC when the games kick off. So you're saying that I have a better chance of getting in a fight on a sideline than Chris. He is yeah, basing it on your opponent. Yes. Someone's got to provoke you. No one in the AAC. Chris isn't getting in a fight with Tiffin. He, he plays a lot of other teams than just the AAC teams. I feel like every every year he's got one. He's going toe to toe with chest bumping with. <laughs> and and you've got <laughs> and it depends definition of fight. You got Tomo. He's a wild card. You got B. I'm not going to fight yeah. Tomo. I'm not going to fight. Tomo. <laughs> fight. No, you're going to be in the fight because you're pulling you know something uh, Beebs off somebody uh, who offended him in the middle of the game. Backfired. Hey, that thing backfired in that. <laughs> That's a good one though. That's good. <laughs> all right Let, let's go That's good job matt nice work thank you that was fun i enjoyed doing that all, all right. right here we go team of the week who are we picking matt i'm going matt. pepperdine two big wins in texas beat tcu for the first loss and then win in college station as the three of us all know how difficult that is to do um anytime you play down college station so Kudos to Pepperdine. Nice, uh, nice trip through Texas and locking themselves into not only uh, certainly you think they're going to be a, a great chance to make the tournament, but certainly they can be seated as well as they're doing. So good for them. All right. Good. Brian. Duke. Third win ever. I know we keep mm-hmm. them, but there's, you know, different levels of this and Duke's clear a national championship contender. That's the third time they've ever beaten Carolina. And yeah. They've all actually been in Chapel Hill. They announced it. You know what's great is, well, great for Duke fans, is that Robbie Church has the first win in Dorrance Field yeah. ever. That's good. He can, I, said, I said that to him. He can put that on his gravestone. Yeah, for sure. First right. win was, at Dorrance Field. It was deserved. That was no – Yes. They could have yes. won two now. Yeah. So, yeah. Good for them. Uh, I'm going with who is Rector's. <laughs> um, you know, we, we talked about them last week. Matt was, you know, kind of not on board, didn't really know what they were and all of that kind of stuff. And they go out and they beat Penn State. They also had another win. I think it was against Drexel or somebody like that. Um, but uh, a good week for uh, the Scarlet Knights. I'd like to think maybe I motivated them you a little did. bit. You did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. Upset. Upset of the week. Matt. I'm going with Michigan State over Indiana. Right, Michigan State, new coach, 
up there trying to really rebuild a program that's been struggled for years and a big win uh, over Indiana. So I'll go Michigan State. All right, Brian. I'm going back to another one of my favorite teams. The Houston Cougars beating Shocker. I'm going to tell this. If I'm in that big four in the AAC, move over. Diego needs a seat at the table. Make it a big five. Good for Diego. No, you're you're right. But seriously, O'Brien. Good for him. You're right. You're right. He's going to have something to say this before it's over. Yeah. It's two years in a row they beat UCF. Okay. Um, I have – can I have two – Sure, Chris. Okay. It's your podcast. You do whatever right. you want. All right. Uh, first one is going to be Utah State with a win against BYU. Yeah. I don't know that anybody saw that one coming. Yeah, I did see that. I didn't see it coming, but I saw that they did that. Impressive. But this next one. So here's the here's the background. Cal has uh, not played for the last two weeks because of COVID. So they're playing at uh, UC Irvine. And Cal plays the game in masks. What do you think happened? Sounds like Cal won. Cal lost. <laughs> Cal lost to UC Irvine 1-0. First win in 12 tries for UC Irvine against Cal. So you just said Cal played the game in masks. Yes. So did their football team play TCU in masks? You know, they flew in there last weekend. Um, the rules are so. different for football. <laughs> 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 They're just a little bit different. <laughs> they yeah, they must are. be taking different versions of the COVID tests than the women's soccer teams. Yes. We had I'm six, sure. seven games affected by this. You know, I was talking to, you know, my good friend, Tony, Tony Fauci the other day. Yeah. I asked him, I said... Is, does this only affect 18 to 22 year old women? Because <laughs> it seems we can't all get it on college campuses. Because every time I turn around, there's a women's game affected by it. There is. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't know how many that is really seven, eight, nine, ten. But it's been interesting. I can't imagine playing the game in mass. That can should you happen. imagine that? No wonder they lost. No. I mean, come on. Okay, Brian, before we get you out of here, give us a few, few uh, words about our good friend, Gary Butte. A good friend and good man is is a great introduction to how to describe him, but really a renaissance man of of modern day U.S. soccer. He's done it all from uh, the days as a player at Lander. And I used to play Gary every spring when I was at Furman and we played Carolina and Wake and all the best teams in the country, NC State at the time. And the team that the two teams that would beat us consistently were Lander and their 32 year old Trinidadian guys and Gary, <laughs> and, uh, Southern Connecticut, Connecticut State, old with yeah. Reed back in the day. Those teams were Reed, yeah. He's done it all, run clubs, worked with me at LSU. And I think our goalkeeper at the time, Megan Kinneman, would say best goalkeeper coach she's ever come across. Um, he's done it all. What he's done at Raleigh and what he did with Baton Rouge with the local youth soccer clubs is just unbelievable. And I don't think that'll be his last job. I think he's going to have a really, really big job somewhere down the line in, in U.S. soccer. So fantastic. Listen, I can't wait. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, Brian. Excellent Thanks, segment Brian. again. As as I can't believe you think I'm getting in a fight besides Chris, but regardless, I'm a lover, not a fighter, Brian. Always remember it takes that. Two to tango. 
It takes two to tango. And I have seen Tomo on the sideline at LSU almost getting a fight, but pre uh, mascot or something. That was before me. That was before me. Yeah, that was before oh, I, was you know. Georgia. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah almost yeah. a brawl. He's in the middle of it, so yeah. he might be collateral damage. That's there you right. go. All right. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. See you guys. See you. See you. Okay, Chris, since we've started the podcast, I've been looking forward to bringing this guest on, right? He's one of the best in the business and what he does. He's a very good friend of all of ours and an excellent uh, listener of the podcast. Gives me uh, feedback from time to time for sure and was very um, excited about last week's topic when we talked about the 15-0 game. But we'll, we'll get to that maybe a little later. I want to introduce Gary Butte. He is the CEO of NCFC youth which is north carolina football club gary welcome to college soccer nation we're glad you're here uh, it's glad to be here good to be with you guys so what we like to do gary always is we start out with everybody and give us your path to your current position so we know you were a good player in, in the youth days but kind of professionally how have you gotten to this spot in uh, in lovely raleigh north carolina well yeah it's been uh it's been a different uh ride than i think probably a lot of uh coaches or, or people have gotten to my spot. Uh, started with uh, in college, in grad school, was coaching teams, as a lot of us did, uh, to try to put food on the table and ended up with uh, running my first club in Montgomery, Alabama, called the Capital City Streets. I was there for a couple of years, ended up in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I ran the Baton Rouge Soccer Club for, for 15 years. Um, you know, all different parts, working in ODP and, and volunteered in college level and coaching the youth. And then, um, and then I, I, I came to Castle in 2014. Gary, it's, uh, it's great to have you, first of all. And um, I think you, you do bring a little bit of a different perspective in that you have sort of done all of these different <laughs> things and, and been involved, you know, on the coaching side and, and now, you know, on the administrative side. But can you explain to us, um, exactly what your role is in the club. I know in the meeting we had before uh, we came on, Matt couldn't even understand what your club was all about. Um, so maybe if you could help him understand and then also just exactly what, what do you do as the CEO? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And certainly over the uh, 24 years of, of running clubs, it certainly has evolved over the years from at the beginning, it was, you know, coaching your teams. And there was one guy who was a director of coaching. And then as the game has grown and evolved and clubs have become more professionalized, uh, it, it, it's taken on a different role. So um, Montgomery, I was basically just the you know, technical director as I got to Baton Rouge. It was a bigger club, became more of a business. And then when you got to uh, Castle, when I got here in 2014, uh, certainly, that was a, a different animal. The biggest club in the country, um, you know, eleven thousand players at the time. Just a massive organization. So when I got here, it was it was evident early on that coaching was not going to be a part of what I did on a daily basis. Um, soon after that, we, we merged with Triangle Football Club. Uh, ended up with close to fourteen thousand players. And really, I'm, I'm the CEO of a company. We have a, almost a $14 million budget. We have multiple levels of plays. We have 70 full-time employees. We have another 300 paid staff, 1,300 volunteer coaches. We manage 170 different fields, uh, a large facility, 
multiple tournaments. And so what I end up doing is I'm more of your admin, uh, fundraising, making sure the finances are there, hiring uh, the right folks. Um, and really, it's just like any person who runs a business, just managing the day-to-day business. It's impressive. It's impressive, Gary. Um, you're welcome. All right, I'm going to go on the, on the, I'm going to turn the clocks back here a little bit and go to your time in Baton Rouge. So clearly it sounds like that's where you really made the jump into this kind of CEO realm, right? So from, right. from Montgomery into Baton Rouge and building that club. So tell us about your time there. Tell us about living in Baton Rouge and really building that, that club into to really a power in the South um, certainly in the deep South is one, certainly one of the better clubs, if not the best club, quite honestly, in the Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas uh, area, even Alabama, you know, it's certainly one of the best clubs. So what was that like? Well, well thanks for saying that, Matt, because I agree with sure. you as well. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting when I went there, you know, soccer wasn't a traditional power in South Louisiana. It's, you know, football, baseball, and it was a, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of um, getting the right people on board, really introducing the sport to a lot of people. And, um, you know, throughout that, throughout that process, and, and a lot of guys like me who, who were doing this, have been doing this for this long, you know, I coached three teams. I was a guy who painted the fields. I was a guy who registered the rec kids. I was a guy who did the coaching education. Um, I ran the tournaments. Um, I did the finances, wrote the checks. And so early, early on, a lot of people like me in those days, that's what we did. So um, being a full-service soccer club is what we prided ourselves on, which is what we are here, from recreational soccer to your, your middle challenge, rec plus type of thing, and then even into your elite-level players um, uh, and going forward with that. So, you know, and I always take great pride, I remember um, – Back when we were in Louisiana, and a lot of people don't remember, won't remember this, but there was uh, in, in a five-year span, there were three Herman Trophy winners uh, from Louisiana on the boys' side. Uh, I think at one point there were a brother and sister team of Melissa Gary and Jason Gary who were leading the country in goal scores at the same time, both on the men's and women coming out of Louisiana. So um, a lot of great athletes out of there, but really it was just you know out of necessity. This, there wasn't the big business that it is now, but for sure, you know, just kind of getting in and having to do it all, uh, didn't have a 70 person staff for sure. <laughs> so we, we did it all. Let me ask you this follow-up question before Chris gets in. So you, you built really a camp power Mecca powerhouse, whatever you want to call it down there. How did you do that in Louisiana at that time when soccer was still just kind of flashing on the scene? It was a, Big camp business. How were you able to pull that off? Wow. Um, well, one, I was the only, it was the only game in town at that point. So, um, you know, I, I remember the very first camp that we started. I think we had about 20 kids. We did a lot of free clinics. Um, we did a lot of getting into the schools. <clears throat> um, and then it was putting on a good product. You know, it was, it was, a, it was energy. It was energetic. It was fun. It was a safe place to be for the kids. And we spent a lot of time in the community, a ton of time in the community. Um, but, and then obviously with the, with, the, with the club, we had the opportunity to get in front of the kids and the coaches. and They got to where they trusted us and wanted to bring the kids to us. And 
um, you know, by the end, obviously it was, it was very big, but also in Baton Rouge at that time. And then you started having, uh, I think when I started, there was one or two camps. When I left to go to Castle, I think there was about 30. Yeah. Every school was running one. Every, <laughs> every, every guy that ever kicked or girl that ever kicked the ball was running a camp. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there was a, uh, certainly the, the success of the camps that we had um, multiplied itself with other people trying to do the same. Sure. Um, in your time in Baton Rouge, you had, uh, I guess we'll say the pleasure of working for Brian <laughs> at uh, LSU. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't a pleasure. I, I guess we'll find out, but I did want to ask you about that. You had, tell us a little bit about your time at LSU and, and, and working with the program. Oh, it was great. It's really was, uh, was one, it was one of the more fun times I had when I was in, in that Rouge. What it did is, you know, when you're in the daily grind and again, doing all that stuff, coaching all those teams, it gave me a different perspective. It allowed me to see what went on in the college game, what it was behind the scenes, um, the challenges that Brian faced at a, at a major uh, SEC university. Um, you know, training the players was such a, such a treat. I uh, worked with one of my favorite players of all time, uh, Megan Finneman, when she was there. And, you know, it was, you know, for me personally, one of the best things that I've done as a professional. Uh, obviously, Brian is kind of a big deal, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ask him. Definitely you, such, such a great character person allowed me to get involved, allowed me to uh, coach with the program. And I can't remember now if it was two or three years, but really enjoyed the process. It really gave me, you know, because we're on this side and we're always trying to get our kids to be seen by coaches and move up the ladder and, and get you all to come look at them. Uh, it, it really helped me um, get that perspective of, of what, what is being looked for and the challenges associated with the, with the um, recruiting process. That's good. Um, okay. Let's talk about why you've kind of why, and then how you've done such a good job of, of really starting to make carry North Carolina kind of the home of the college cups for both the men and the women and, your relationship with your club, um, really kind of hosting it. And I know you've been heavily involved. And I I think, I, what do I know? I don't know anything, but I hope at some point it becomes the the Omaha for, for college soccer or the Oklahoma City, um, whatever you want to call it, but really the the spot that we call home for, for college soccer. I just think it's, you guys said you do a good job, but kind of let our listeners kind of know what your role is with that. Yeah, we hope that happens too, Matt. Um, yeah. <laughs> We, you know, listen, I, I can't take any of the credit. There are there are so many great folks uh, that's a part of the local organizing committee that do so much uh, for the teams that come in. And right now, UNC Chapel Hill is one of the is the main host town of Cary, who does an unbelievable job with their fields and, and and that stadium, which is you know arguably one of the best facilities in the country to play. Um, the Great Raleigh Sports Alliance, who, who plays a big part. And then, and then also the NCFC. So we, well, we do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, the um, volunteers, scoreboard operators, um, the, the player companions, um, you know, a little bit of all of the stuff behind the scenes this past year when we hosted both of them, uh, allowing, having fields for training, hydration stations, you know, trying to help colleges and college coaches the best we could. 
Um, so, so we do play a really important role in that aspect. But I think most importantly, our role, and this is where when it goes outside of Raleigh, it's, the success has not been the same, is that our tournaments are so well established and they are tied in with whatever college tournament we're hosting. So uh, for, for example, this year we're hosting the men's cup. So our, our tournament is same weekend as the men's tournament. Now we'll have 500 teams there. All of the all of the players on all of the teams will have tickets. Friday night will be packed. The stadium will be rocking, and it, it really presents a great atmosphere, um, you know, for the for the college players, which we take a great pride in. The following year, 23, uh, we host both the men's and the women's. So those will be on back-to-back weekends. Uh, the women's our women's tournament, which brings in 600 teams, uh, give or take, uh, and all of those girls will be at the games. We schedule around the games, the revenue stream that goes into to the NCAA and, and, the, and the folks organizing the group. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, that I think is what really separates it. Um, I, I think our town of Carrier Greater Valley Sports Alliance and the hospitality that has shown the players and the coaches is great. But the environment that the kids get to play in, I think, is, is fantastic. Outstanding. I think you guys have done a, a wonderful job there. And uh, I, I think there are a lot of people who, who think it's a great place to play and, and, and uh, enjoy the experience for sure. Um, I'll tell you, this last year, and I hate to interrupt you, but this last year when we had both groups in for that month, yeah, that, that atmosphere and environment and men's teams and women's teams stand in tournaments and um, it, it was fantastic. It was yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it together, you know, in, in, oh, yeah. in the future, for sure. I, I, you know, if we knew someone on the NCAA committee who might have some influence on these things, you know, it, it would be good. We don't really know anyone who has any influence on, on the NCAA committee. If we knew someone, it might help, don't you think? I think that'd be helpful. Yeah, yeah. I, I do too, if someone had some <laughs> influence. Um, but I, I do think it's headed that direction 100%. I think it's headed to a men's and women's Final Four weekend uh, if I was a bet man, I'd say we'll be there sooner than later. Great. Gary, you, you know, as well as uh, all of these uh, different hats that you've worn, I wanted to ask you the, the, about um, being a soccer parent, because <laughs> that certainly has its own challenges as well, especially when, you know, your kids are, are playing in the club or, or, or that kind of thing. And um, give us a little bit of perspective on what, what that's been like. Wow, that is um, that's a great question. The I think you know, for the, I have three kids right now that all play in Division One soccer in college. I have a son that's a senior at UAB, a daughter that's a rising junior at High Point, and a son that's a freshman at NC State. And so I've watched more college soccer over the last three weeks than I think anyone has, <laughs> and it, 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 it's been such a blessing um, for me. You know, when I look back on it, because I get asked that question a lot, um, my kids have had the opportunity to play with so many great coaches that have influenced them in so many ways. Um, and, you know, it hasn't always been easy for them. And I've always been that dad who's been um, behind the scenes. I've never got involved. Uh, my wife and I both. I've never coached my kids, which. Uh, That's why they're good players. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, in fact, the only the only uh, 
Mama Fain is the only one who's coached our kids when they were little. So that was, um, she takes credit for that when they were five, six, and seven years old. But, you know, it's it, it's been great to sit back. It gives me a unique perspective. So when parents come into the club and, hey, this is what's going on. I understand where you are. Hey, I didn't make the first team. Yeah, I know my son was on the fourth team when he was 13. I get it. Yeah. So it's so it has given me an invaluable um, perspective when dealing with parents, and I think it's allowed me to have a little bit of credibility as well when dealing with parents and coaches to try to give them um, maybe a different way to look at it. Love it. Okay, uh, just a couple more I got for you, Gary. Um, so we so obviously we've talked a lot about you as an executive. But talk to us about your time at Lander as, as obviously you're a big-time player, an All-American. But how different is it from when you played back back at Lander? And, and you're not an old guy. I'm not saying that. But how much different is it there to what you see now, what goes on kind of with, you know, three kids at the Division One level? You know, how, how much different is it was from you as a player? Yeah, it's uh, – well, I am old, so thank you for that, man. Um, <laughs> But you just, you know, I, I was, I started as a junior college player. And so I was actually a JUCO All-American. So I took a different route. So I was a JUCO All-American at PG County Community College in Maryland and ended up transferring to Lander, which at that time was a perennial Division II powerhouse. And, you know, I, again, three kids in college and seeing what they, what they get and how they travel and, the gear that's provided and the facilities that they're playing at, it, it's just, it blows me away where soccer has come in our country over these years, especially when I was in a little school. Now, if you were to go back to Lander right now, the facility they have built since uh, over the last 10 years, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it, it's a great facility. So it's a testament to where the game has gone. And you have a little school like Lander University who, traditionally as a, as a powerhouse at the division two level and the facilities that they have put together unreal. But uh, you know, what, what, when I go and watch where my son is in their stadium and uh, my daughter, their stadium, NC state, what they're doing, um, how they travel, how they fly. Um, it is, the game certainly has evolved over the years. Um, yeah, and it's nice. 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 It's so nice to see. Yeah. All, all good things, right. For all the good. Yes, things. absolutely. All right. One more, one more, two more questions for you, Gary, real quick. Um, I, I have to believe finding quality club soccer coaches to do this job is difficult and you have some of the best. What goes into your role and how do you do it to, to figure out who is just a guy with an English accent or a foreign accent that thinks they're a coach as opposed to figuring out who's actually a really good soccer coach? Well, uh, again, I'll defer a little bit of this is, is that I have a great staff that helps with that. So that's not entirely on me. So I think a couple of things. Number one is you're only as good as your people. So we, um, you know, there's an old saying that is you'll take as much quality um, as character will get you. So we, we really focus on character. We really focus on what type of person they are. Um, and, and, then, and then we look for, you know, we really look for diversity in this. Diversity of thought, diversity of background, um, you know, those with accents, those with not accents um, from, you know, from, from the Latin world, from the West Coast. 
and, and we, we, we really try to bring ourselves to where we're bringing people of, of different backgrounds and perspectives within the game. Um, you know, we, we, we really pride ourselves in creating a tremendous environment to train the players. Uh, Raleigh's not a bad place to live. It's, uh, you know, no matter most things you look at, it's top five and everything that you can do with regards to living and places to be and, and that type of thing. And it's just a booming area and a lot of people want to be here. It's a soccer rich environment for sure. Uh, really, it's about about character and, and, um, and creating an environment where people can thrive and grow and, and really um, move on in their career. So I'll go ahead, Chris. I got one thing, one, one more thing I, I wanted to ask about here, because you, you've moved into this new role uh, with U.S. Soccer now, right on on the board, and um, that's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, you you're now uh, in a decision making group that really makes the big decisions for soccer in our country, right? Do you feel the weight of that a little bit? Um, yeah, and, and just to clarify, my, my role is I'm the chairperson of the U.S. Club Soccer mm-hmm. Board. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you got your full U.S. Soccer and then USYS and U.S. Club. And, and I would say U.S. Club Soccer is, is really where most of the top level soccer is being played in this country right now. Uh, yeah, it's it's um, it, it is it's, it's important. It is gratifying. It's exciting. Uh, to be in those rooms, a lot of smart people on this board that I sit with and club leaders from all over the country. Um, and, and and really what we, we try to do is every day the conversation is how do we make the environment better for clubs and coaches to develop players? And ultimately that's what we're trying to do. How do we get out of the way? How do we make the environment conducive that we are creating players that you guys want to come to your schools, that our national teams want to play for them, uh, that the professional clubs want to have. And um, it's a lot of work. It's very satisfying. And, and just so many what's, – what's refreshing to see is how many smart people who are looking out for the good of the game across the country. Um. How big is that deer over your shoulder, by the way? That's massive. Did you shoot that in Mississippi? I shot that in Texas. Okay. No, what a surprise. Everything's bigger in Texas, Matt. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> For those of you not seeing it, it's a massive deer he's got over his shoulder. All right, Gary. Uh, last thing, uh, last thing, couple two, two things. One, do you think we should bring Jim Wayne on as a guest on the show? Something Chris and I have talked about is college soccer nation prepared for a segment with Jim Wayne. It would probably be the, the most attended podcast you have and the most yeah. fun. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and our last a, one. And probably yeah, our last, last one. one. We'd be kicked <laughs> off the airways. Um, uh, how mad is Kenny White going to be that you came on before him? He's going to, he's not going to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and then lastly, 14,000 um, club players at your club, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood? Yeah, around there. All right, Gary, the, the gauntlet has been thrown down, right? Anson, Kobe are high in the downloads. We want you to break the record. So we yeah. need to get this out to those 14,000. Right. The kid on and listen to you. Club. 
So don't come at us with this many players and that many players. You've done all this and that, unless you bring the download. So we we're expect a out. high number of downloads. We're, we're going to find, find out. out. Yeah. Right. I'll do my best. Uh, You're in charge of everything at that club. you got to be in charge of downloads. Social sure. media. Yeah, let's go. Let's go, Gary. Uh, listen, thanks so much for your time. It's been really insightful. I've enjoyed listening to you and, and, and talking to you. You've done a great job. We appreciate you coming on College Soccer Nation. We appreciate your friendship and your certainly we know your listener and, and we'll get to the 15-0 discussion at another time. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate Gary. it. Yep. Take care. Okay. You know, Chris, it's always fun to talk to Gary and, and um, you know, he's a good friend of ours. It's always fun to see him out. And when we go to Raleigh, we go always go to dinner at the, at the convention. We always go to dinner with him and he's just such a good guy and and does it the right way for the for the youth soccer, or the, really the kids, and certainly respect him and the job he's done uh, yeah. really through his career. Pretty awesome. I've got great respect for him. I, you know, he, he came in and helped us some, you know, with, with the region teams. I thought he was great with the uh-huh. kids. And, you know, I, clearly he's all buttoned up and, you know, he's, he's on top of things and, and that kind of thing, but just a real, real good man. Yeah, I mean, you think about him and I were dominant force there at Region 3 as a coaching staff, and then, yeah, you know, you – then you demoted me to go coach with Brian, yeah. Gary, moved on. So anyway, all right, uh, Power 5. This is kind of a fun one. I look forward to this one. So Power 5 is uh, birds, right? I, I yeah. wanted to be a bird in my superpower, and we kind of ran with that one. So I just was thinking, I was looking outside my window, and I saw a beautiful bird fly by, and I thought, let's do birds. So here yeah. we are. Again, here we another, are. another ridiculous topic, but okay. <laughs> all right, here we go. Top five birds near number five. My number five is the hummingbird. The hummingbird like little buzzes around, you know, yeah. around the flowers and things like that. I went with the hummingbird. Yeah, that didn't do a lot for me. Um, I, I'm going to go sentimental a little bit, but when I grew up in upstate New York, we have this big back window in the back of our house where we went, my dad and mom would always feed the birds. And we used to have robins. Red robins are a beautiful, beautiful bird. Uh. Don't add me. It's a beautiful average, bird. Average it's a beautiful bird. I love the red way robin. Way too common. Way too common. No, I think you find a lot of people who like the red robin, especially females. They love the robin. It's beautiful. Okay. You're number four. My number four is the blue jay. I think the blue jay is a kind of a, a majestic looking bird. It's no different than the robin. It's just blue. No. The robin no, no, is red. Very different. No, there no. it is. I think you're thinking the chest is red. Yeah, you're thinking cardinal. You're thinking cardinal, Matt. Cardinal. Cardinal. You're stealing my you're stealing my thunder on the cardinal, too. Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, All right, right, my number four. You ready? The chicken. Oh my god, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) What? If you were a chicken, it would have been hard to fly as a superpower, I'm gonna lie. Listen, the chicken is a giver. It produces. You have eggs. You have chicken wings. You you have chicken breast. No, no, no. I took a different route. So, out of curiosity, so you want to give birth is what you're saying. You want to lay eggs. No, no, no. But I do like eggs. Who doesn't like eggs, Chris? Like eggs and a lot of things. Oh, Um, the chicken. Oh, God. You're number three. It's the cardinal. I like the cardinal, the, the red cardinal that stands out. You see it out your back window. It's uh, really calming to see the cardinal. Yeah, I do believe we've gone a different route with this. <laughs> my, number, my number three, a falcon. Yeah, falcon's good. Oh, falcon's a good one. Fal- falcon's, falcon's good. yeah, it's badass. Falcon's, falcon's a lot better than the chicken. 
<laughs> Number two for you, the Hawk. Ooh, yeah. The Hawk is tough. I like. I was, a, you know, I was a, I was a Hilbert Hawk, Chris. I <laughs> actually one day and I came out. We had a mascot. I had the hawk head on. I came out to basketball practice with a hawk head. And I went to turn fast and I hit it into the pole, the basketball <laughs> pole, and smashed it. Got me out of paper mache. Smashed it. Right. Hawks. Yeah. Okay. All right. My number. We're getting a little crazy here. My number two, the owl. No. You don't like an owl? Owl's cool. Oh, they're cool. Yeah. They sit there. They're cool. They're kind of scary a little bit too. Little bit. All right, your number one. I have the same number one. Yeah, I think we probably do. Yeah, but I'm going with the bald eagle. I am as well. There we go. How can you not? Right? How can you not? How top you bird. Not? Top well, bird. Not, I, I think this was. I think we both had good lists, except you threw it in the trash with the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go with a duck. What about a duck? Would I've done better with a duck. I had duck in two minutes. A little together. better. Based on previous power fives, I'm surprised you didn't go ostrich number one just to kind of throw a winger in there. Uh, all right. So your five are what? Uh, the hummingbird, the blue jay, the cardinal, the hawk, and the bald eagle. Okay, my number, my five are. Oh, it's robin, but I really meant cardinal. Um, <laughs> four, four is chicken. Three is falcon. That's a good one. The two is the owl and the eagle. Baldy, number one. All right. All right. What are we looking forward to, Chris? Big games this week. Yeah. Uh, who is Rutgers against Michigan? Yeah. Tennessee, Auburn. Central Florida, Memphis. Virginia, Duke. That's a real good one in, Ooh, in the yeah. uh, ACC. Duke's got Virginia and Virginia Tech this weekend. That's a uh, full weekend. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Auburn and AM. Yeah, obviously Auburn's got Tennessee and AM. That's a tough weekend. North Carolina Clemson. Good game. Penn State, Ohio State. That's a big game in, in the Big Ten. Yep. And AM Arkansas, I, I think, is probably the, the big game in the SEC as far as uh the West. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. Who you got, Chris? Uh we play East Carolina in Greenville, North Carolina on Thursday night. And I know you have a big week, right? We do. We play the the hottest team in the conference in LSU Thursday night here in Oxford, and then we uh, turn around and head to uh, the the second hottest team in the league uh, in Arkansas in Fayetteville. So full weekend for us as well. But you know, since that time, Chris, it's conference time. Everything's kind of cranking up. It's fun. Um, it's stressful. It's um, yeah. you know, crazy. And um, but congratulations well, hopefully- to you. On- Yes, congratulations to you. Two good wins this weekend. Um, and good luck as you start conference play. Thank you, Matt. And you too. It's uh, it's going to be fun, I think. It is. We'll see you guys all back here next week uh, on College Soccer Nation. Gary, get us our get us our thousand downloads, Gary. Yeah. We get us a thousand downloads. Uh, people are listening. We appreciate it. We love doing it for you. Download it anywhere you can. College Soccer Nation for September twentieth is out. If you have questions for Coach Petroselli or Coach Mott, you can reach them at cpetroselli at mail.smu.edu or mmott at olemiss.edu. College Soccer Nation is presented by DJM Productions and available on all your fine podcast outlets. Download it, give a review, tell a friend.